Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today's message is part two of a three-message series looking at portraits of Jesus in the book of Revelation. The title of today's message is Jesus the Worthy Lamb from Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. These portraits that we're looking at in the book of Revelation are meaningful to all Christians in all times, especially in times of distress, revealing and reminding us of Jesus, our protector priest, Jesus, our worthy lamb, and finally, Jesus, the champion, the warrior king. There's a story told of a man who loved books. He met an acquaintance who had just thrown away a Bible that had been stored in the attic of his ancestral home for generations. He says, I couldn't read it, the friend explained, and uh, it had stuff written on it, and uh, you know, somebody named Guten something had printed it. And the book lover exclaimed, oh no, not Gutenberg. That Bible might have been one of the first books ever printed if it was a real Gutenberg. Why, a copy of a real Gutenberg just sold for over $2 million. His friend was unimpressed. Well, mine wouldn't have brought a dollar. Some guy named Martin Luther had scribbled all over it in German. Hmm. It's often said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Worth is not based on the eye of the beholder, but the beholder can miss something or someone's worth. How do you decide if something has great worth? What makes something worth less? It's been said we know the cost of everything and we value nothing. How do you treat things of worth or people of worth? Do you treasure them, protect them, respect them? Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that describes Jesus as the worthy lamb. John the Apostle was not looking for a lamb, he was looking for a champion of power and majesty. And the result was that he was left distraught because he wasn't finding this champion, he was weeping. In the moment when John and all of creation needed a champion the most, it did not look like there was one to be found, but there he stood, the lamb, as though slain, the sacrificial lamb, the slaughtered lamb, the lamb who triumphed not by might but by submission. My hope is that whenever you hear the name of Jesus, a lovely word will enter your mind and cross over your lips. Worthy. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy to author our redemption. He is worthy to reign over us and all of creation. Jesus is worthy. He is the worthy lamb. And that is the message today. If you were to back up just a little bit, and read Revelation chapter 4, you would get a picture described to you of heaven's throne room. And that's the scene we find ourselves in in John chapter 5. See, John is swept up into the throne room of heaven, in the very place where God resides. And this is the place where the person of God is unveiled, revealed, and his people respond to his glory. How on earth can anyone describe such an unearthly scene? And that is what John tries to do, and the details are given to describe with human words, a place that is beyond our comprehension. God is described in Genesis, or Genesis, Revelation chapter 4 in terms of jewels like Jasper. There's a rainbow emerald that surrounds him. There are 24 thrones around God's throne, and seated on those thrones are 24 elders dressed in white. Most early Christians would have seen these representing the whole people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, or the churches, 24 altogether. 
the whole people of God. They wore golden crowns, crowns that marked them as reigning with God and, as we will see, reigning with Jesus. The scene is described with lightning and thunder. The spirit is represented by seven burning torches. And there's a sea of glass. I treasure that picture of the sea of glass in Revelation chapter 4. It tells us that in heaven, there's no more battle with sin, no more battle with chaos, no more battle with disorder. There's no more fighting that which shouldn't be. In the Bible, stormy seas are always something that people fear. It's bigger and stronger than we are, and so it threatens and terrifies us. But no more. The sea is calm. It's like glass. There's no more sea monsters, leviathans, swimming in the waters. There is peace. And then in that throne room picture of Revelation 4, there's four living creatures. They're angels. Others think they might represent all created things, uh, with a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle representing their heads, and those four symbols representing the kings of the creation, uh, the lion of the beast, the ox of the domestic animals, man as well. We tend to think pretty highly ourselves, an eagle as king of the air. I think it's enough to see them as angels, or perhaps as holy worship leaders. And these four creatures worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They never stop. And when they worship, God's people worship God. God is on the throne, and He is worthy. That's what's declared in the worship of Revelation chapter 4. He is holy, and He's worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And that's the scene that we see before us when we step into Revelation chapter 5. It's a picture of worship of majesty, of wonder and glory. But John, the apostle, he's troubled. For all that glory and wonder, John encounters a crisis. All of creation hangs in the balance and he seeks an answer. So let's read Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And when the throne and the four living creatures and, and among the elders I saw, let me go back and start at verse 6 again, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, catch that, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped there's a tremendous scene of worship of majesty of might in that throne room it's a scene of victory I want to take some time and unpack it because there's so many complex images in the book of Revelation. Let's talk first about that seven-sealed scroll because that's where John's crisis comes from. That's where his fears come from. That's where the weeping comes from. Now, we're not told precisely the identity of this scroll, but we have a pretty good understanding of what it most likely is. In the ancient world, uh, scrolls, uh, it was a piece of papyrus. It wasn't paper. It was papyrus. It would be a rolled-up document that took a while before we had books as we know them today. And so it was common in John's day to have a rolled-up document, often tied together or sealed with a wax seal. And we know that in the ancient world, legal documents were sealed with multiple seals. They would be tied shut with a thread, and then wax would be dripped over the thread, and then those with the authority to be witnesses over the legal document would stamp with their signet ring their symbol into the wax that only they possessed, so it was known that they witnessed it and it was true. And it would be known if the document was broken open, if it was illegally opened or not, because they had to have the particular witnesses either present or their authority there. So this scroll that God is holding is some sort of legal document. Now most scrolls in the ancient world were written on one side, because one side was just easier to write on than the other, uh, just the texture of the papyrus. But if there was an overwhelming amount of information, important information, they would write on both sides, and that's what's happened here. There's writing within and out the scroll. But what about these seals? People often think of the seven seals of judgment, that, that maybe those are the contents of the scroll. As it's opened, the, the judgments jump out, but they're not. They're on the outside of the scroll. They authenticate the contents of the scroll. Craig Keener remarks that so often we are fearfully of these judgments, these seven seals, but they are the witnesses that verify the truth of the scroll, the truth of its contents, the truth of what God is doing changes a little bit about how we look at those judgments. Now, legal scrolls had as many seals as were necessary to authenticate the contents, but we do know there was one type of legal document that would either have six or seven seals on it, and that is a will. The will had to have more authentication had to have more than usual to make sure that it was not tampered with and that the desires of the benefactor were carried out after their death. And the will was only opened after a person was genuinely dead. And I think there's a strong case to be made that this scroll, you could call it a will, perhaps is the book of life, the record of all those who will inherit heaven. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 tells us this. It's sort of a, a maybe a little more negative 
uh, picture. It says, all who dwell on the earth and worship it, and everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Isn't that an interesting description of the book of life? The book of the life, the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. What we have in Revelation 5, the Lamb who was slain, who's opening the scroll, a contract, a will. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 and 15 tell us this. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the book of life is the inheritance of those who will get into heaven. It's the record of them. And Revelation chapter 21, verse 27 says this, But nothing unclean will enter into it. And they're talking about New Jerusalem. Nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I think a good case can be made that the book of life is the record of who can stand up under judgment. It is a record who will gain access to heaven, of who will enter into the new Jerusalem. The book of life proclaims just who are the legal heirs, the children of God. It's a will, if you would. And I think it fits with Revelation chapter 5. But John's crisis is that no one is found who can open it. And you can see why John would be distressed. He stands in the throne room, and there's a scroll with seven seals, and it's held in the hand of the Father, and no one is found who can open it. No, this is the, the moment, the climax of existence. We're going to open up heaven, and people are going to be under judgment, and they're going to go in. It's, it's the beginning of all things being made new, and there's no one there to open it. So the question is raised, who is worthy? The Father holds out the scroll. It's important. It's critical. All of creation has been aiming at this moment for the scroll to be opened. Relief is at hand once the contents are revealed and read, and a mighty angel asks, who is worthy to open the scroll and breaks its seals? In my mind, when I read that passage of scripture, the mighty angel proclaiming, a great silence follows. Who is worthy? And John looks around, and he can't find the one who's worthy. Redemption is about to break forth. It, this is it. All things are about to be made new, but no one can open the scroll. That's a terrible moment. Who likes to wait? Who wants to wait any longer? I know we don't like to wait. I know very few people who like to wait. We are in a world that is ever speeding up so that we can weigh less, wait less, and accomplish more. Waiting becomes increasingly difficult the more excited we are, the more, in, the more we anticipate the moment. And this, in Revelation chapter 5, is the biggest moment in all of history. John cannot see the one who is worthy to open the scroll. The silence is then broken by his distress, and he is weeping. And the word here for John's weeping is a, a strong word, the strongest word they have for weeping. It is a deep, bitter weeping, a gut-wrenching anguish. The weeping you hear when a loved one is lost, when a parent loses a child, and, the, and a person's whole world has collapsed. John cannot see the one who is worthy. And that's the word, isn't it? Worthy. Such an interesting word. A term we give, worthy, to those who are deserving. 
in our world, we recognize people who are worthy of many things. Worthy athletes, we might measure them in the Olympics or a championship. Worthy scientists, thinkers, and ambassadors of peace, we might measure them by the Nobel Prize. They're worthy physicians and nurses, we measure them by how they have helped and cared and cured. Worthy teachers, we measure because they give so much and change lives. It turns out there's a lot of people worthy of recognition in many areas of life. And we have to learn how to see them because we can miss the opportunities to recognize those who are worthy. So what about the one worthy to open the scroll? John has yet to learn how to see this sort of worth. He looks for one type of person and he finds another. These seals are mighty. It takes more strength than any on earth or in heaven or in God's people in heaven to open the scroll. The angel cannot unseal it. A great champion is needed. That's who John's looking for, and John cannot see him yet. I think we also struggle with seeing the worthy Lamb of God. It turns out that we emphasize worth in all the wrong places. We venerate sports stars, successful men, and, 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 and women uh, of business. We adore world changers. We want to be with those who have uh, life in the palm of their hands. But to us, worth is visible now. We see comfort, we see success, we see wealth. Even uh, that a person has is esteemed right now seems to make them worthy. We want that worth to be known right now. Revelation chapter 5 tells us that true worthiness is just beyond our earthly sight. We need to escape our small world and our small desires, if even for a moment, to clearly see the one who is worthy. Because his worth stretches beyond heaven and earth. His worth stretches beyond time with no beginning or end. His worth is big enough to cover the great multitude. And his worth touches you and me personally, pointedly, with redemption and restoration, if we would just believe. And one of the elders interrupts John's weeping. Though John cannot see yet the one who is worthy, the elder can. And the elder introduces him. Behold, this is the job the Christian has right now. We get to introduce people to the one who is worthy. Are you doing that? Are you helping people to see, helping people to change their picture of what worthy and value is so that they can recognize the Lamb? The elder describes one to John and one that John would expect, the Lion of Judah. That's a good picture. We like lions. Lion, the lion is the king of beasts, and for good reason. The lion is unmatched in the wild. He mentions the root of David, and we like that. He's the Messiah king that Israel has long hoped for. Kings have authority. The one designated by God as Messiah surely can open the scroll. And the elder tells us that this one has conquered. We like conquering. He's victorious. He's a champion. He's won. He's worthy. And the picture of the mighty conqueror is to be fixed in our minds. That's what we're looking for. I love this turn in Revelation chapter 5 because we, we're looking for a lion, we're looking for a, a king, we're looking for a, a conqueror, and then we're surprised because instead of that lion, instead of that king, instead of that champion, there's a lamb. A little, small lamb. Jesus is not just a lamb instead of a lion or a king or champion. Jesus is a lamb that is a true lion, a true king, and a true champion. 
when he's truly those lion and king and champion because he is this lamb first. Verse 6 describes this lamb. And this is so important for us to see. The lamb standing as though it had been slain. That is a picture we need never for we need to remember forever. The lamb standing as though it had been slain. Victory through the lamb is achieved by the lamb's surrender. We can learn a lot from this because too often today we think victory is won by force. That we win when we push away those who are our enemies. Jesus was victorious not by pushing away his enemies because we are all his enemies in our sin. But by giving himself to us so that each enemy, each of us could become a child of God. What conflict do you find yourself in? Who are you angry at? Be like Christ. Sacrificially give yourself to restore those that you're in conflict with. Is that what you're doing? Or are you trying hard to get rid of the ones you're in conflict with? Or are you just mad at them all the time? Trying to prove why you're right. Jesus wins by sacrificing himself. He brings victory by restoring those he is opposed to. And that needs to be what we do too. The lamb who is slain is the victor, and he invites us to be sacrificial like him. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus is speaking, and he says these word, words, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There is that word, worthy, again. It's amazing how it keeps showing up, and I think we should want to be found worthy of Christ. A few moments ago, I mentioned how scrolls with six or seven seals in the ancient world were wills. I do not think it's any, any accident that the lamb who was slain is the one with the authority to open the scroll. He is the one who gave his life and took it up again. Death must happen before the will can be opened, and that is why he is worthy to open the scroll, the book of life. The will cannot be opened until... The lamb dies first, the one who was slain. Hmm, what a picture. And there's this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 5 of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have a throne with the Father seated, seated on it, the lamb who was slain, and then you have these strange horns and eyes. I do want to mention those. I know those can be confusing. See, the lamb is described as slain, but there's more to his description than that. He's described with seven horns and seven eyes, and we're told that these horns and eyes are the seven spirits of God going out over the earth. A bit of understanding of apocalyptic imagery can help us see a little more clearly, at least. The number seven often has the meaning of perfect, and horns in apocalyptic lit literature represent power. And yes, uh, and eyes uh, represent knowledge. We are told that these eyes and horns represent the Spirit of God. And so we have this picture, this trinity of God present at the unsealing of the scroll. There's a father seated on the throne uh, holding the scroll, the son, the slain lamb, breaking the seals, and the Holy Spirit, who is perfect in power and understanding, sent into all the earth 
perhaps to those written on the scroll. It's an incredible moment, and the only response for us is to worship. That is what the crowd in the throne room of heaven does. They worship, and they sing a new song. And the song that was once directed to the Father in Revelation chapter 4 is now given to the Son, but it's new, it's different. Those four living creatures and 24 elders all fall down and worship at Jesus' feet. The Lamb, they worship with harp. They worship with Him with uh, bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And when you pray, ah, oh, that's so wonderful. So we're told when we pray, it's an act of worship being presented to the Lamb who was slain. Those of you who are prayer warriors, you understand this. The intensity of your prayers, the holiness of your prayer times, those prayers that you pray so often soaring beyond your intentions. You went in to pray and it just turned into an intense time of prayer. That's worship given to the Lamb who was slain. Never think of prayer as a small thing. It is worship. The host in the throne room worships the Lamb. They understand Jesus' worth. They respond to, by treasuring him, by honoring him. He is precious to them. Hopefully, you see now a little more clearly the worth of Jesus. He's not just a feel-good savior. He's not just a teacher who speaks mighty words. He's not just there to make us happy. He's not just the best teacher on how to love. He is love itself, and he is love beyond our comprehension, who gave his life sacrificially so that our names could be written in the book of life. He is the one who will bring all of his people to heaven to live and reign with him. He is the one worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls and release us from this broken existence and bring all his people into heaven to live and reign with him. Today our text ends with the word, Amen. And as we talked about several weeks ago, this is the Hebrew word. It's, it's Greek just brought over, it's Hebrew brought right straight into Greek. And it, Amen means I agree or yes. It is my hope this morning that you are redeemed by the Lamb who was slain, that you're now in awe and wonder over what Jesus has done and what he will do, and that your response to Jesus would be worthy. Now, if you'd permit, as we get ready to close in prayer, I'd like to read the songs of the saints in Revelation chapter 5 as the closing prayer today. Yes, these texts are a worship hymn. They are song. But I think they're also a prayer, and so if you'll permit me, let's read them as a prayer. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Go with Jesus. <laughs>